future. And the God who is timeless has given us much information about it. Uh, he told us that the next event on the horizon is this, the rapture, and it concerns Christians and could take place at any time. Nothing further has to take place prophetically before this marvelous event takes place. This is the catching up of those who have died in Christ first and those who are walking with Christ now to meet the Lord with in the air, thus to be forever with him. And this is followed by this other mountain peak of prophetic uh, reality in God's mountain range of prophecy, the judgment seat, not with regard to sin. Oh, no, our sin has already been judged by the Lord Jesus on the cross. This is a time of dissemination of rewards for deeds done in the body by members of the body, that is, Christians. And then we spoke about this um, unattractive character, the Antichrist. Uh, we spent a few Wednesday nights speaking about the role uh, he will play in times to come, particularly during this period, uh, which we've been camping out on, known as the Tribulation. Not that there haven't been trials in Tribulation before this, but that this is a specific time of great tribulation, a bounded period of time of seven years characterized by the outpouring of God's wrath, not upon believers, no. We've got to get this settled. The wrath of God for transgression with regard to believers has been fully outpoured on the Lord Jesus Christ so that what he did provides for the totality of our pardon and forgiveness. He suffered enough. We need not add to it or be in doubt about it. He said it is finished. The debt is paid. He settled it. So the tribulation is the time of the outpouring of God's wrath, not on the church because the church isn't there. It has been raptured, and you just have to see this takes place before this. So we're going to talk more about the tribulation period for this reason. Uh, the Lord had had a discussion by way of review with Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. And he said things to them which aroused the interest of his followers, otherwise known as disciples. They asked him a question while they were around the temple precincts. Quite an amazing structure. Uh, they asked him questions about when these things which you have been telling others about will transpire. When will be the end of the age? And so the Lord took the opportunity at great length to answer their question. In fact, his answer is just about the lengthiest to any question put to him uh, that we have recorded in the Bible. And he gave the answer while seated on the Mount of Olives. So if you can visualize it, you have the temple precincts on the Mount of Moriah in Jerusalem. And then there's a valley. It's called the Kidron Valley. And on the other side of the valley is the Mount of Olives where the Lord frequently would recess to for times of solitude and prayer to the Father. And so there he was with his followers seated, as was the fashion of teachers in that 
day. And so they were listening, if you will, to Rabbi Jesus. And he began to give them a discourse on signs, indicators, which they ought to be aware of and which will identify this particular end time event, the tribulation. And since he gave this discourse from the Mount of Olives, it's called the Olivet Discourse. And that's what we've been reviewing in Matthew chapter 24. And we spoke about some of the signs he gave. He spoke about great deception of a spiritual kind on a worldwide scale. He spoke about famine and earthquakes. He spoke about persecution. He spoke about persecution, particularly uh, of Jews. Uh, The time of Jacob's trouble is how it's identified in the Bible. And tonight I'd like to show you what he said about some additional signs. So here's the first one, Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. Uh, The Lord said, at that time, it's future time, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. You know, this isn't the time, I think, to say much about the uh, eternality of one's salvation, uh, about the... uh, uh, about eternal security... Uh, There's difference of opinion, isn't there, in the body of Christ? I'm one who is persuaded that because of the nature of salvation, it cannot be forfeited. It wasn't earned or merited, and therefore, how can it be unmerited? Uh, Salvation, since it's the Savior's doing from beginning till end, ought to leave the saved one secure in the knowledge and assurance that it will come to fruition because of Christ and that one day we will be presented to the Father holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. So here when it talks about those who have fallen away, the very fact that they fell away is, in my opinion, an indication that they were Christians of a professing kind only, but not truly transformed, converted, and redeemed, because one of the evidences of it is that even in tribulation, one doesn't fall away. This has nothing to do with the the stick-to-itiveness or strength of the Christian. This has to do with the holding power of Almighty God. Go home and read John chapter 10. Find out who has you in his hand. The Lord Jesus is in the Father's hand. You're in the Lord Jesus' hand. You're enveloped by both the Son's hands and the Father's hand. I have to tell you, nobody, surely not the Antichrist, can get to you. Therefore, the Lord will bring you forth fully saved, fully redeemed to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. So these who have fallen away are religionists. They call themselves Christians as opposed to maybe some other religious grouping, but they don't know Christ in a personal way. They only know religious participation. So one of the signs of this tribulation period is that there's going to be this mass defection even from a semblance of Christianity because you see the world will turn against Christians. Lord willing, next week and in the weeks to come, we'll talk about end times religion. Oh, there'll be plenty of it. Uh, but it'll be anti-Christian religion. So there can be harassment of true born-again believers, even massacre of them. And as a result, many will say, 
No, I don't. I'm not a church. Per- oh, no. Are you kidding? No, no, I, no, I have nothing to do. Oh, that cross? Oh, that was just given to me by my grandmother. No, 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 that's not mine. I don't. So there's going to be falling away and betrayal. But my neighbor, my neighbor has a secret prayer meeting in his home every Tuesday night. There are about 15 people who come under cover of darkness. I'm telling you, that's going to be the atmosphere during the time of tribulation. The church is gone. Things are different in that day. There's the outpouring of God's wrath, the likes of which the world has never yet seen. And then the Lord moves on, and in verse 11 of the Olivet Discourse, he said, and many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Oh, good night, we've always had them. Uh, But the intensity of false prophecy and the proliferation of false prophets in that day will be really great. Of course, they'll have many audiences because everyone will be screaming for answers and relief and explanations. And so many will emerge as false messiahs and imagined deliverers who will, in fact, not be deliverers at all. Oh, good night. We got false prophets in our day today. Why do they all come from Florida, it seems like? (laughs) Goodness gracious, every kook in the world does his thing in Florida. Good night. Okay. False prophecy. Verse 12, and uh, it says, because lawlessness is increased. Remember we spoke about now lawlessness in the sense of the absence of law, but in the absence of those laws which reflect the moral character of God. In fact, there will be a proliferation of human law as there is today. Good night. Never seen as many legislators and lawyers and everybody else. They're all employed and kept busy. There's a law for this and a law for this. There's all kinds of law. You know why? As uh, unrestrained behavior increases, the government has to try to restrain it more and more with more and more laws and stuff like that. So be all of that kind of stuff. But when it says lawlessness, it won't be law reflecting the moral character of God. Already we see it. I mean, you can kill babies. You can marry someone of the same gender. You could, you know, you know, those are, those are not God's laws. So anyway, that stuff will increase. Most people's love will grow cold. And verse 13, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. What does that mean? My fellow Christian, do the best you can to hang in there. Because if you have a weak moment, you'll forfeit your salvation. No, no, no. That's a human-centered plan of salvation. We have got to get this straight. You didn't save yourself. And you didn't get saved because you walked the aisle. You couldn't even get up out of your chair. If God in the power of his Holy Spirit didn't already convict you of your lostness and indebtedness to him, I have to tell you, you owe your salvation to a Savior. Just as I am without one plea. And nothing has changed. You're still entirely dependent on the word and promise of God to consummate your salvation. Well, that ought to make you feel good. He doesn't vacillate. He doesn't change. Uh, He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We have our ups and downs. He just has his ups. 
So, uh, when it says here, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. The other sign of salvation is the enduring quality of salvation finalized in seeing the Savior face to face. And who will grant that capacity to endure? The Savior. In other words, he doesn't lose any who he has saved. Now, some will find their way into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ by passing through the tribulation alive, but others will find their way into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ by perishing during the tribulation. But even though the body perish, the saved and redeemed essence of the person endures. And that enduring quality is the very sign of salvation. Now, Verse 14 is where I want to go now and camp out on this just a little bit longer, if you don't mind, because this is a, this is good. Matthew 24, 14. Look, this gospel, remember the Lord, remember the context. The Lord's giving signs, numerous ones, of the end of the age, particularly this time of great tribulation. So there'd be no mistake about it. Remember the Thessalonians were a little confused about things. They thought they missed out on the rapture because they were being persecuted for their faith. And then Paul had to correct them and say, oh no, essentially he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think this is tough. Oh, my goodness. No, no, no. And then he spoke about the man of lawlessness who's coming but didn't come yet and all that kind of stuff. He wants them to get the chronology right. This takes place before this, and that order of things is the very basis for our hope. We're not going to experience the outpouring of the wrath of God during the tribulation because we said instead... I accept the fact that it befell the Lord Jesus in my place. Don't you see how important that is? How significant that is? How hopeful that is? So here you have verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Some mistakenly think what is required before the rapture is that the world be entirely evangelized first. They base that on that verse, Matthew 24, 14. And they say our missionary and evangelistic efforts in presenting the gospel worldwide to every people group on earth is required before the Lord Jesus will come for the rapture of his church. That, my friends, is not true. Please remember the context of the Olivet Discourse. He is not giving them the signs of the rapture. He simply said, of that day no one knows, not even the Son. So why would he then say, and by the way, let me give you about 15 signs indicating the rapture. He said, be ready, I'm coming like a thief in the night. It's called the imminent return of Christ, which means it could happen at any moment. Why does he do it that way? Good night, because he keeps us ready. 
That's why. So Matthew 24 is not talking about what has to precede the rapture. That's just the point. Nothing does. It's talking about what has to precede the tribulation and the end of the tribulation. The Lord Jesus is going to come again. He came the first time and fleshed to suffer and die for you and for me. He, in, in a sense, will come a second time here at the rapture, but will not touch down on earth. The Bible says at the rapture we meet the Lord in the air. And so if you will, what we commonly refer to as his second coming is actually his third coming. When does that happen? At the end of the tribulation period, when the world is on the verge of destroying itself, at the battle of Armageddon, we'll get to all that stuff, the Lord returns and lays it to rest and establishes his 1,000-year earthly reign known as the millennium. And so he is saying here, the gospel must first be preached in the entire world then the end will come. Now, this is what's interesting. Though the tribulation period is a time of the outpouring of God's wrath, a time of great persecution and lawlessness, God is always a savior and a redeemer in every age, at all times, and in all places. And what is overwhelming said, even in this time of the outpouring of his wrath, he remains merciful and interested in saving those who will believe. Now, to show you this a little more clearly, um, let me direct your attention to Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. I saw, says John, the apostle John, Another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Uh, verse 3, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bond servants of our God on their foreheads. The bond servants of God are sealed. So total unbridled destruction is restrained until the bond servants of God can receive a seal on their forehead. And in ancient times, a seal, well, a, a ruler would put his signet ring into, as an imprint into wax, maybe on a letter, and it would indicate this belongs to me and this this imprint on it, this seal, will ensure its safe delivery to the intended recipient. And so for the seal of God to be placed on his bond servants is a way of saying, they belong to me, I'm the king. And this seal will ensure their safe arrival home with me. Anyway, they are his bond servants. And who are they? Uh, Revelation 7 verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> That's what the witness at your door believes. That's what the watchtower says. 
the elect amongst them are the 144,000 and the others have to work for their salvation and that's why they're knocking on your door. And it's work when they knock on mine, I'll tell you that. We talk. But folks, these 144,000 are Jews of every tribe of the sons of Israel. Could it be made more plainer? Of every tribe of the sons of Israel. How many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. So if there's 144,000 from the 12 tribes, how many from each of the tribes is that? 12,000. And just to make sure we do our math correctly, if you were to continue reading in Revelation verse 5 and on, which I won't take the time to do now, you will see that God did the math for us. And it'll say 12,000 from Asher, 12,000 from Naphtali, 12,000 from Manasseh, 12,000 from Zebulun. They're not Mormons. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not the Houston Astros. They're... They're Jews, folks. They're Jews. You know what they are? 144,000 signed and sealed, passionate, zealous, radical Apostle Pauls running around. God chose the most high-strung, emotional, out-of-control people group on earth. My people. We're not British, we're not proper, we're nothing. We get saved and we go ape when we do. We go crazy, we boil over. 144,000 of those characters running around during the tribulation Period. So God will seal these Jewish evangelists who will carry the gospel message through every place in the earth. Now, folks, uh, previously we read about this um, affecting every nation. Do you know the word nation, when it appears in the Bible, is not the same as what the word means in our English dictionaries? Uh, to us, it means like a political entity uh, with geographic boundaries. So we think of the United States, or we think of Mexico or Canada or Iraq or Iran, you know, geographical political entities. But that's not what the biblical word nation means. It actually means a cultural or ethnic, a language group. You know what God's intent is? For the gospel message to be made available in the language of every ethnicity, every cultural group on earth. If you're participating in missions, if you're participating in language study for the sake of taking the gospel to those who speak another language, oh man, you're right on board. You're doing the right thing. So the Bible says this will take place, but it's not going to take place as a precursor to the rapture. Not that we should stop doing it. Are you kidding? We ought to do everything we could while we're still here, salt and light on earth. But the job will be completed, actually, during the tribulation period by the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And will God bless their efforts? Oh, give me a break. Revelation 7, verse 9, check it out. After these things I looked, and behold, look at this, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation. See, here it is. Every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, it's a symbol of purity, and palm branches, it's a symbol of peace, were in their 
hands. Folks, all that will take place during the tribulation period. And it says in Revelation 7 verse 10, And they will cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And when you look to the juxtaposition in Revelation 7 of the 144,000 and these evangelistic results, any thinking person sees the connection and attributes the propagation of the gospel to the 144,000. But maybe you're sitting there thinking, but wait just a minute there, Moses. Wait a second. If the church has been raptured, the church entrusted with the Great Commission, the witnesses of Christ are gone, then how do the 144,000 get saved? Oh. Even in that day, the word of God will be available, though it probably will be hidden in caves. The internet will still be accessible and there'll be all kinds of opportunities to read biblical truth and the gospel. There'll be tracks left behind and there will be hopefully the deposit you have made in the lives of your unsaved Jewish friends. There is no evangelism that guarantees more of a payoff than Jewish evangelism. Because you could be making a deposit now in the life of your unsaved Jewish doctor and seeing not much of a response and maybe sadly because your unsaved Jewish doctor refuses his own Messiah, he misses out on the rapture, he finds himself smack dab in the middle of the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, and he reflects back on little old you who were living proof of this loving God to him. You told him that his Messiah is yours and that what Jesus did he did for all people and you gave him an opportunity to think about his own indebtedness and need for a savior and he puts you off as some kind of country bumpkin fighting fundamentalist southern baptist get out of my face person and now he's putting it all together during this time of tribulation it's amazing how pain softens us up doesn't it And now his otherwise stiff neck is bending to the truth. And now his otherwise uncircumcised heart is beginning to be open to the promises of his own Messiah. Now he's putting it all together. That's why he doesn't see you anymore. (gasps) You're gone after all, aren't you? And he finds himself smack dab in the middle of a horrid time of tribulation in which his life is in danger. And he cries out, Oh, God on high, save me as you did that patient of mine who left that track and who made that deposit and who shared that word. Come into my life, King of kings, Lord Jesus, Yeshua, be my Savior. That's how they get saved. Don't give up on sharing the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I didn't say that. God did in the Bible. 
If you don't like that order of priorities, then argue with him. You'll lose, you know, because he's Jewish too. <laughs> All right. So anyway, that's how these people uh, get saved. Now, the church is gone, but God takes the 144,000 and they pick up where the church's work left off. And he gives people to be saved uh, an opportunity to be saved even in the tribulation. Now, I know some, you know, maybe you've read some books and things like that. I've already been uh, approached about this. And you've been taught that uh, after the rapture, there is no possibility of salvation. Um, You're wrong. That is just not true. How did the 144,000 get saved? How did this multitude of tribulation saints get saved? How did that all happen? That's all after the rapture. No, 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 no. God is a saving God until... the day of salvation is over. There will be that day. And then there is no longer an opportunity to be saved. Now I tell you, I wouldn't want to put off the opportunity to receive God's inexpressible gift of forgiveness. I wouldn't want to run the chance that I'm going to miss out on the rapture and have to be redeemed through this. I don't want to go through that. There's no need for it. So what amazes me is that even when God pours out his wrath during the tribulation period, his fundamental purpose is to save, not to destroy. And so the Lord Jesus told his disciples again from the Mount of Olives, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world and then... The end will come. This period of tribulation will end. The Lord's coming will occur. And he will establish his 1,000 year earthly reign, which we will talk about, Lord willing, in weeks to come. But do you notice the phrase, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached? We know that the word gospel means good news, and it's good news of a kingdom. And a kingdom must have a king. And the good news of this kingdom is that the king is King Jesus. It would be bad news if this kingdom has had as its king um, one of the political leaders of the day or on the horizon. See, that would be bad news of kingdom. It would be really bad news if you were on the throne of your own life. Because you're not such a good king, are you? Neither am I. But this is good news of the kingdom because it's a kingdom. Lovingly, compassionately, righteously orchestrated by the king, King Jesus. So I have to tell you. My head spins by what's happening today, as does yours. I actually took some time off and watched no news. I feel better. It's just, it's, 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 everything's crazy. Nobody has solutions. They're laughable solutions. You could experience the despair of life, hopelessness, until you remember the gospel of the kingdom. You're in it. 
You're a subject of the king. His kingdom is not a geographic kind of a thing. Oh no, it's an ultimate reality. It's a spiritual reality. You have allowed the Lord Jesus mastery, lordship, kingship over your life. You're not in charge. You're not responsible. You don't have to defend yourself, protect yourself, provide for yourself, save yourself. You don't have to do any. He did it all. You're just a subject of the king. Good news. The king is King Jesus. He's not Mussolini. He's not Hitler. He's not Dick. Tutorial. Oh my goodness, the king loves his subjects so much, he became as one of them. Good news of the kingdom. It'll be good news for the folks in the tribulation when the kingdom on earth is run by the last world's ruler, the Antichrist, and then they hear preached to them, then they remember good news. It's a passing thing. It's temporary. And then King Jesus will be on the throne and will rule and reign forevermore. Don't you want to be a subject of the king? For to allow the right king to have mastery over you is freedom indeed. So I'll tell you what's really, 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 really good news to balance out all the horrific news which we are being inundated with today. It's this. Our God reigns. (laughs) 